Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. If you would, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of Titus. book of Titus. Our passage this morning is going to be verses 5 to 9 of Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. There are many things in this life like jobs and hobbies that require investment, that require time and energy and effort and commitment for them to be done well. When you're interviewed for a job, There's often something like a job description that communicates all the things that you'll be responsible for. It lists out your responsibilities, and and you might look at that list and and think, well, okay, there's some things that I'll need to learn, and I'll have to try hard to do these things well. Or maybe it's a new hobby, and when you start a new uh, hobby, there's often some sort of technique or maybe some new tool or gadget or something like that that has to be learned in order to be proficient. But, but what about the church? Have you ever considered, as a member of the body of Christ, what your role might be in the church? What expectations there might be for you? What methods and techniques that you can learn and grow in to promote the health of the body of Christ? Here in Titus chapter 1, in verses 5 to 9, we see that Paul shares with Titus some ways that he can invest in the health of the church. And as we look at the teaching that Paul gives to Titus, we too can glean that we must invest in the health of the church. And the first way that we see that we can invest in the church's health comes from the beginning of verse 5. So look with me as I read Uh, Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this, For this reason, Paul, talking to Titus, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. So after Paul's introduction uh, in in the first few verses that we looked at the last time I was able to speak, uh, we saw Paul's uh, priorities in ministry. We saw... Uh, what he valued in his ministry efforts. And it was the, the, the furtherance of the gospel, of promoting the faith in the saints and, and, and pursuing, uh, sharing knowledge for the purpose of understanding for growth. And now we see him transition into some of the priorities for the structure of the church. And the first reason that he gives to Titus as to why he was left in Crete is to set in order the things that were lacking. And and this concept of setting in order could also be described as straightening out or correcting something that has gone wrong. And and this indicates to us that there was something that went awry or that there there was something that wasn't quite right in Titus's context of ministry. For some reason, there needed to be guidance and correction 
And and the language of lacking here also communicates that there's potentially something that's left undone. That there are things that that should be happening that are not happening. And so Paul is is instructing Titus, okay, you, Titus, you need to, to be the one to straighten these things out to give that guidance and that correction, and you need to help establish and do the things that aren't being done and lead others to participate in doing those things. And, and from all of this, we, we kind of gather the fact that there is a order for the church. There is a standard that is given to the church, and in this particular context, it's not being met. Or it's not quite reached that standard. And so, Titus is instructed then to help the pro- in that process of completing those things that need to be done. And, and scripture is full of instructions about what the church is and how it should be functioning what it should be doing, right? For example, Acts chapter 2 helps us to see that the church should be devoted to certain things, to sound teaching, to fellowship, even eating together. 1 Timothy 3 shows that the church is the pillar of truth, that within the context of the body of Christ, that is where truth is disseminated. In Romans chapter 12, we, we gain insight into our identity as the body of Christ and the fact that we have distinct roles within that body. And sadly, even though this is very clearly laid out in Scripture, even the church can stray away from the instructions that are given as far as what we're to do and how we're to, to engage in ministry. We have distinct roles and responsibilities given in uh, Scripture for the body of Christ, and yet even the church can stray from those commandments. And, And this is why Paul instructs Titus to correct or to straighten out those things that need to be resolved and to continue to pursue the fulfillment of what God calls the church to be and how the church should be functioning. Imagine with me that you're a dog owner. I love dogs. I hope to have a dog of my own someday. Uh, but imagine with me that, that you're a dog owner. And, you know, we've probably all heard uh, young children ask for a pet or for a puppy. And, and I'm sure we all know the, the, the line of argumentation, like, oh, I promise, I will take care of it. I'll be responsible. I'll walk it every day. I'll feed it. I'll, I'll do all these things. Can I please have a puppy? Please, 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 right? We've probably all heard that. And, and so let's say that you, um, you, you kind of give in a little bit and, and you, your family gets a puppy. Let's say that dog's name is Shiloh, okay? I'm not partial to that name or anything. It's just the name of my puppy growing up. He's a little beagle Jack Russell. He's the cutest dog ever. Shiloh. In the course of a day, he's running around in his backyard, and he sees a squirrel, and because he's a beagle, he has to chase the squirrel. And he chases it into the neighbor's yard through a little hole in the fence there. And and as he's squirming underneath the fence, uh, he's cut on his back by a stray piece of wire. 
And, and as you, the, the dog owner, as the, uh, the adult in this situation, you see what happens, you know the dog is hurt, and so you, you scoop up the dog and you take him to the vet. And the vet examines uh, the, the injury and, and concludes, okay, well, we know what we need to do. The dog needs stitches. And so you're sitting there, you're waiting for the procedure to be complete, and then the doctor comes out, and he's all stitched up, he'll be okay, but you need to give him this medication to help ward off infection, right? As the wound is healing. And, and so you, you take the dog home, and everything's going to be okay, and, and then as you get home, you see the hole in the fence, and you're like, oh, I should probably mend that hole so that this doesn't happen again, right? Similarly, that... that scenario, it gives us a picture of what's happening here in the text with what Paul is doing with Titus. This is what is expected of a good dog owner to to see the problem and to take the proper steps of action to fix the problem and prevent further injury to the puppy. So Paul is encouraging Titus here to take the necessary steps to correct the issues that were going on in his ministry context. He is responsible then, uh, as a member of the body of Christ, to help treat the spiritual wounds that are present, the deficiencies that are there, as well as take the, the, the next steps so that those things do not happen again. And you may be here this morning thinking, well, I don't know what all of this has to do with me. Paul is talking to a ministry leader here. I'm not a ministry leader. And while this may be true of you, Scripture clearly communicates the responsibilities that every believer has as a member of the body of Christ. We're instructed to prioritize certain things. For example, things like corporate worship where passages like Colossians 3.16 come to mind. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing together for the honor and glory of the Lord. You know, we're instructed to be dedicated to the teaching of the word together to admonishing one another and caring for one another, to even sing praise to God in song together. We're instructed to devote ourselves to to doctrine, to fellowship, and even breaking bread together. And even though you may not be in vocational ministry here this morning, we're still given responsibilities as members of the body of Christ within the church, and, and we must strive and submit to these responsibilities in these roles. And if we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, then we have been graciously allowed entrance into this household of God, into his family. And if we truly understand the gravity of that grace that has been shown to us, it should compel us to invest in the life and health of the church. It should compel us to participate in the plan that God has communicated for his church to help support the order of the church. We must strive to fulfill God's order for the church. And and maybe for you this morning, it means taking some time to understand what it is specifically that God's word says about the order of the church. 
what its priorities should be, what its ministry is, and what role you play in that. Maybe it means taking some steps of faith and and committing to God's order for the church, like investing in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it means engaging in discipleship. Or maybe it simply means to commit to gathering more regularly and consistently with the body of Christ. Or maybe simply to, to sing out when we, when we spend time in corporate singing, even though you may not feel as if you're the best singer. It is in these types of ways that we, as members of the body of Christ, can invest in the health of the church by fulfilling God's order for the church as he's revealed it in Scripture. A second way that we can invest in the life of the church is to appoint godly leaders. To appoint godly leadership. The second part of verse 5 says this, And appointing elders in every city as I have commanded you. Paul expounds the most uh, on this second command in our text this morning. And he gives um, the command to appoint elders. Though Paul does not specifically give uh, the process of how this is accomplished, he does give the details about who is qualified to hold this position. Verse 6 tells us that a man who is blameless is to be above reproach. It says, if any man is blameless. This this concept of blameless is going to serve as kind of the overarching qualification uh, that all of the, the descriptions to follow will kind of fit underneath. And this concept of being blameless is the idea of the fact that a man's character will not call into question any concern of ungodliness. That the way in which this individual lives his life is not subject to scrutiny. Paul goes on then to describe more specifically what this specifically looks like for a man to be blameless and to have this type of character. He says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And so first we see that that a man who is qualified to be in leadership in the church is one who is faithful to his family. He's the husband of one wife, having a heart solely for his wife and no others. He's faithful to lead and guide and parent his children well for the honor and glory of God so that they too might obey and trust the Lord, striving to lead them well in obedience so that they might too be recognized to be submissive. Verse 7, he continues, for a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money but hospitable and a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. So here in verse 7, he, he repeats that overarching qualification of being blameless, which again is that, that concept of the fact that there is no um, hesitation to, to deem this man as godly. There's no reason for his character to be called into question. 
And it's interesting, a little bit of a side note here, it's interesting that Paul uses a different term to, de- to describe this uh, position in the church that he's talking about. Back up in verse 5, he uses the term elder. And here in verse 7, he uses the term bishop. And he very clearly in this passage equates the two to be talking about the same position. And so what that does then is it helps us theologically to understand that there is only one pastoral office in the church, even though it's described with different verbiage. And he continues in verse 7, he says, this bishop, this elder, this pastor is a steward of God, or one who is in charge of leading and managing the affairs of the church. Traditionally, this concept of stewardship would have uh, been an individual who was given authority to care for his master's house and affairs. And in our particular context here this morning, it it calls into mind uh, the, the description of the church as being the house of God and the family of God. And therefore, pastors, those who hold this position of leadership in the church, their task is to manage the church well, to care for its health and its affairs. Paul continues still on to describe five qualities that shouldn't be in the, a, a man who is qualified to lead. He says they are not to be self-willed. This is the idea of, of not being headstrong or stubborn or demanding. They're, they're not to be angry, prone to anger, given over to uh, passion and losing of their temper. They're not to be given over to wine. There, there is a, a need for them to be dedicated to sobriety and to uh, ridding themselves of addictive tendencies and behaviors. Maintaining sound judgment. They're not to be violent, which communicates this idea that, that the, the leadership in the church must maintain um, peace, not be quarrelsome not be physically, emotionally, or, or spiritually abusive. They're not to be a bully. As one, as one commentator put it, they are to strive to build up rather than to tear down. And the, and the final negative statement here is that pastors are not to be greedy for money. Nothing that they do should be out of a motivation to receive and build up wealth for themselves. This isn't a motivation of one who is godly. Paul goes on still more in verse 8. Look with me at verse 8. He should be rather hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. He's to be hospitable, which is to to love strangers and to have an open heart and home uh, to share what God has given with, with a welcoming spirit, not withholding anything, but being willing to give as he has been given to. He's a lover of what is good, and, and this is someone who is dedicated to all that is good and right, seeing through the lens of what God deems as righteous, desiring that which is pure and holy. He's to be sober-minded, 
just, holy, and self-controlled, which means that, that he again sees through the lens of what God says is good and right. He sees through the lens of scripture and God's revealed will. And he acts with sense and discernment without partiality. That's quite the list. And it it goes to show the importance that is placed on the character of those that we put in leadership in the body of Christ. Let's go back to our illustration of Shiloh, shall we? In our earlier example, the the owner of Shiloh was uh, a, a rather experienced pet owner. He knew what to do right away as soon as there was a problem. Now let's go back to the pet store. And imagine that looking through the glass uh, of the kennel that this puppy is taking a nap in with his floppy ears. Maybe he's twitching a little bit, imagining he's chasing that squirrel. And looking through the glass is an 11-year-old boy. And this is going to be his first pet. And his, his, you know, he's, he's made those promises to care for the pet, to walk him, to feed him, to take care of him as best as he can. And and so he, he gets the pet, he takes him home, he takes Shiloh home and, and lets him run around in the backyard for a little bit as he uh, is, I don't know, playing in the backyard himself. Maybe they're playing fetch or something. And, and a squirrel catches the eye of Shiloh and he takes off under the fence and gets caught, cuts his back again, right? But only this time, he doesn't know what to do. He's never been in this situation before because this is his first experience with his pet. And so he runs into his dad and he says, Dad, Dad, Shiloh cut his back and he's bleeding and it's not good. I don't know what to do. And his dad just so happens to be a professional dog trainer. And so he has had to deal with many um, dog injuries in the, in the many years that he's spent as uh, a trainer of dogs. And so he rushes out and he scoops up Shiloh and he grabs his son and they, they get into the car and they drive to the vet. The same uh, treatment is given. And, and maybe on the drive, his dad takes the opportunity to explain, okay, so, so if something like this ever happens again, this is what we need to do. We need to make sure that we can treat the wound or we can take care of him and get him the medication that he needs. And, and, and oh, maybe also when we get home, we need to mend the fence so that this doesn't happen again. And so this is going to be the first of many times when the dad will teach his son about being responsible as a pet owner. Paul is instructing Titus to appoint godly men who can lead and teach the church what it means to be a child of God and a member of the body of Christ and to guide them through the process of growth who can help lead through um, dedication to the order of the church that God has laid out in scripture for us. These are men who lead by example, who teach. And one of the rather clear applications from the second commandment that Paul gives to Titus is that we, excuse me, that the leadership of the church must be godly. They must be qualified and match the characteristics of godliness as they're laid out in passages like this here in Titus. We can invest in the health of the church not only by being thankful for the godly leaders that we have now, but also being committed to search for and find and appoint new leaders 
who are committed to these same uh, elements of character, to these same priorities for a life that is godly, who, have de- who demonstrate what it means to be godly. Additionally, the role of a pastor is to lead, to guide and protect the church by setting an example of what it means to be godly. They are to come alongside the church and lead by example. And with this in mind, another way that we can invest in the health of the church is to submit to the leading of these godly men, is to willingly place ourselves under those who have demonstrated godly character. So the question then is, are you willing? Are you willing to submit yourself to those God has called into leadership who are living a godly example and and follow their lead through things like change? Who are leading you through what it means to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God? Are you willing to submit to their correction, to their admonition, to their teaching? Are you striving to follow them as they follow Christ and demonstrate this type of godly character? Maybe investing in the health of the church for you this morning looks like confessing and repenting of some character that doesn't line up with what God has declared to be godly. Maybe it means helping to raise up and train the next generation of godly leaders in the church, engaging in discipleship. Maybe you yourself are here this morning and you aspire to be in the ministry, to be a part of the the work of God through the local church. And so maybe it means doing some self-evaluation and committing to be faithful to this type of godly character. So that one day you can participate in leading a church towards godliness. A third and final way that we can invest in the health of this church as we see it in the text here is to commit to sound doctrine. This is the last characteristic and description of of a of man with godly character that Paul lays out for us here, and and he spends a little bit more time on this one than the others. He describes a man who is godly as one who is qualified to lead the church as being committed to sound doctrine. He says this in verse 9, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort, convict, and convict those who contradict. The idea of, of holding fast to the faithful word here is, is this idea of being dedicated, of being all in, being completely on board with obeying and living by the word of God. And this is a trustworthy word. This is the source of truth. This is how we find out what it means to to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God, what is expected of us each and every day, how we should do things like gathering together and worshiping together. This is our source. The word of God is our source for that truth. For Titus, it was something that was passed along from godly men like Paul 
who God used to communicate his will, and now we have it in Scripture. And the reason this commitment to sound doctrine is so important is because it is how leaders exhort and teach, as well as as correct those who contradict what is true. We'll see in the next passage here that there was an issue of false teaching going on in the context that Titus was working in. And, and so with, with that in mind, Paul is kind of solidifying here his commitment to remain steadfast in the truth of God's word. He's in, exhorting Titus to install men who are committed to preaching and teaching what is true, to stand firm on the truth of God and use this to promote health in the body and the house of God. Have you ever been inside of a doctor's office? And, and maybe up on the wall, you, you see a poster and, and there's a, a statement like this on it. It says, you know, the key to a healthy life is a healthy diet. And, you know, they've got the plate that's segmented into, into sections and it has your protein and your vegetables and your fruits and your whole grains. And, and it's communicating that you need a balanced diet to have uh, a healthy lifestyle. You know, I'm sure we've probably all seen that type of a poster in a doctor's office. And it's communicating that a good diet is necessary for physical health. So too, a good diet is necessary for good spiritual health. And the word of God is described in multiple places in scripture, like 1 Peter 2, as food used for growth. In 1 Peter 2, it's, it's described as, as milk that newborns would, would need to grow. In 1 Corinthians 3, it's described as meat, which is what us as adults need to grow and maintain strength. So imagine then the, the healthiest person you know, the person who is, who is so dedicated to knowing what they're putting in their bodies and never having a cheat day and always being committed to having the best quality food to maintain good health. And, and that's what's happening here in this text. Paul is saying that those who are qualified to lead the church are dedicated to live wholeheartedly by the right spiritual food, the word of God. And to allow it to inform the way that they think, the way that they act, the way that they see the world. Which then allows them to come alongside the church, come alongside you and I, and help guide us in our process of growth. As members of the body of Christ, we can invest in the health of the church by appointing these godly men who, can, who are committed to this sound doctrine, but we also too ourselves can commit to this sound doctrine because without it, we would be a jumbled group of individuals with their own personal beliefs and there would be no unity and the, and the mission of the church and uh, to worship and evangelize would be confusing and, and it would suffer and there would be a lack of understanding of what it means to be honoring and glorifying to God. Without sound doctrine, it would be hard to even understand what the church is and what it's supposed to do, what message we should be sharing and teaching and and clinging to, or what discipleship looks like. We must invest in the health of the church, 
not only by having leaders who are fully committed to the word of God and what it says about faith and practice, but we ought also to strive to have our own lives be controlled by the truth of God's word and thereby allowing us to have unity in what we believe and how we worship and how we live and interact with each other and the people around us and how we see the world. If those things don't match up, I don't think we can describe it as being healthy. So maybe for you this morning, investing in the health of the church through a commitment to sound doctrine means searching the scriptures and shoring up your understanding of what God's will is for your life. Maybe it means meeting with a mature believer who can help you understand what God's word is and what it says. Or, or maybe it's to act on your desire to help others to, to better understand what the truth of God's word is and understanding who he is and what his will is and what that means for you as a member of the body of Christ. And so from this text here this morning, we, we are encouraged and challenged by Paul's instructions to Titus to invest in the health of the body of Christ. We can strive to fulfill God's intended order for the church as we appoint godly leaders, as we pursue personal holiness, and as we dedicate our lives to sound truth that is God's word, thereby promoting health in the body of Christ as we pursue these things that are, in fact, healthy. Dearly Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have given us descriptions of what it means to be godly, what it means to be holy and have character that is honoring and glorifying to you. God, thank you for instructing us in this way so that we can have unity as children of you. Lord, we don't deserve to be a part of this family. We don't deserve to be involved in your work. Lord, it's only by the grace of your son and his death on the cross. And, and, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to always run to the, to the grace that has been given to us as we seek to, to live in such a way that pleases and honors and glorifies you. And Lord, as, as we see what that means for us in, as members of the body of Christ, that you would compel us by that grace to be committed to sound doctrine, to the truth, to be committed to following the example of leaders that you have placed above us, to be committed to doing things the way that you have willed them to be done. And God, I pray that it's the, the power of the gospel that would compel us to strive for those things. And so God, be with us this morning. We need your grace and strength to, to, to live this way. We can't do it on our own. God, we're sinful beings. But by your grace and through your strength and through the work of your spirit in us, I pray that you would give us the ability and the desire to pursue these things, to be committed to these things, just as Paul was encouraging Titus to be committed to them, 
God, so may we be committed to them as well. We praise you and thank you for working in and through us. Lord, we're humbled by it and we don't deserve it. And we pray that you would convict us where we fall short and compel us where we need energy. Lord, we pray these things in your precious and holy name and in your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.